Hey, group, this is the Son of Ghoul, and you're listening to the Secret Lair Drive-In. <laughs> Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. In the ocean's unfathomable depths, a gigantic, man-like creature appears. depths of the earth comes a prehistoric mastodon of destruction. Never before has the screen known such heart-stopping terror. Starring Nick Adams. Well, I feel he's very important from a scientific point of view. I'd have to cut off a leg or an arm. Doctors, I won't let you conduct this test. Frankenstein. With the strength of a thousand men. And every man's need for affection that makes him a willing captive. The chain hurts you. <laughs> the new scoop of the century. The horrifying touch of a severed hand with a life of its own. Force of a monster that dwarfs man's tallest structures. Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In. And Carl Nelson, everybody. I'm your host, your fearless leader, D-Dub. And across the Wayback Machine from me is my faithful acolyte, 
stratosphere. Did it on the first take. Always professional. That's right. He was, I, I could see he was looking at me. He was waiting. He was waiting. He's no, laughing. no, no. I had faith in you, bro. He he, he was laughing. I could see. <laughs> he's, he's laughing now about it. Uh, well, before we get into this week's cinematic masterpiece, uh, let's give our contact information. Okay, our web presence is at secretlayerdrivein.podbean.com. All right, got it on the first time this time. Oh, that's because I was screwing up earlier today. <laughs> and if they want to, and if they want to turn around and tell us how great we are, or what idiots we are, or even suggest a movie, can't they do both? Well. Uh, you know how it goes. Uh, how would they do that? Uh, now, this is the one I'm not sure of. Secret Layer Podcast at, ding, ding, ding. at gmail.com. That's Secret Layer Podcast at gmail.com. Not Secret Layer Podcast ding, ding, ding at gmail.com. D- you can see somebody going D I N G, D I N G. That's why I. Uh, that, that's why I said it. Okay. All right. Before, now that that's out of the way, it's time for feedback. I'm just going to let the music play in the background. I'm not going to put in any fancy feedback. This is from our friend Joe, I hope we're pronouncing this right, Hayden, who I believe we bestowed a title, which I wrote down somewhere, and if anybody were to see what the desk looks like here in the old Secret Lair Studios, I ain't finding it anytime soon. Okay. Something like uh, Geekus Emeritus of Advanced B-Movie Studies. He's at the head of the class. For the, and you the, too can be at the head of the class <laughs> if you if you email us, hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, we actually were, we wanted to arrange to have Joe on this episode. Schedules just conflicted. Okay, Yeah, as he, they do. He works evenings and... Just circumstances weren't allowing it to happen. Okay. And I feel bad about that, but at some point in the future, I do want to have Joe on the show. Okay. All right. Anyway, on to the feedback. Hey, guys, just want to drop you a line and let you know how much I enjoyed the Godzilla vs. King Kong podcast. Like you, I wasn't too big a fan of this film, but I do like the idea of Toho trying to do a Godzilla origin story. I like the idea of going back in time to fix the past. I just wish the story was executed a little better. This should have been a better film. Think about it. Time travelers from the future come to the past to warn of Godzilla and Japan's future, so they go into the past to prevent the creation of the Big G, only to find out this was all all part of an evil scheme to not only prevent Godzilla from being created, but to create King Ghidorah and take over the world slash Japan. This plot should have worked. I don't know, as convoluted as he made it sound there, I don't know how it could have. I, don't, I think he actually simplified it. I, I, oh, there you go. I was actually following that more than I did the actual movie. <laughs> and I like the movie, don't get me wrong. Oh, there you go. We all know that crazier Godzilla plots have worked in the past. By the way, thanks for pointing out uh, Akiji Kobayashi from Ultraman, who, by the way, was also in the follow-up film, Godzilla vs. Mothra, The Battle for Earth, and also had a cameo in Gamera, Attack of Legion. Another great 90s Godzilla film is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Looking forward to you getting around to that one. Thanks again for all the great podcasts, and I look forward to hearing the next. Thanks, Joe. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Iden. That's an Irish name, isn't it? 
Yeah, well... You <laughs> sure, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly, laddie. Well, you know it's Irish and sis in the backyard, don't you? What's that? You know it's Irish and sis in the backyard, don't you? What's that? Patio furniture. <sighs> That's right, folks. My job is bad jokes, or as my daughter likes to refer you'll, to them. You'll never be fired, then. <laughs> as my daughter likes to refer to them. That's a dad joke. Oh, burn. Okay, with all that out of the way, so what is our film, our fine piece of cinematic stuff for this episode? Well, we're going to be talking about the 1965 Toho classic Frankenstein Conquers, Conquers the World, released in Japan as Frankenstein vs. Subterranean Monster Badagon. You see, I knew it had something to do with Earth. And this was directed by the none, none other than Ishiro Honda. So you know it's special. That's right. And um, it's actually considered one of his better works. Uh, it was an interesting piece. I will, I will say that. Well, as we go through it, it's almost, I would say probably the first half of it was pretty good. And then the second half, where, oddly enough, where they got into the monster battles. That's where it kind of... Well, uh, yeah, I, I would... Well, the, the problem I had with it was a problem that we had noted on uh, Godzilla Raids again is is that, you know, w traditionally with uh, any type of kaiju films, they always speed up the film so you get that lumbering effect and if anything they did just the opposite because it looks like it's in fast motion at at certain points in especially during the battle you know the best place to start with these would be the, the plot. plot now we have our prologue set in nazi germany during the final days of world war ii a kriegsmarine officer flanked by three commandos barges into the laboratory of a Dr. Riesendorf with orders to seize the immortal heart of the Frankenstein monster. Well, before, uh, as they come in to get this, this is actually kind of a cool sequence. It's like two minutes long and not a word is spoken. You know, I actually thought there was something wrong with the, the sound because I, I had this thing where um, I like watching almost all movies with closed captions, but the problem is I had an English dub but I had Japanese with uh, uh, closed captions, so I was actually kind of watching them simultaneously, also to see what differences there were in the two movies. And I noticed that, wait a minute, I, I'm getting, there was actually closed captions on it, but there was no actual English dialogue, and I thought there was something wrong. And then it finally dawned on me by the end of the sequence that, yeah, it's almost completely silent. Yeah, it was... Um a really cool uh, little effect there. Or not effect, but just sequence. Right. But anyway, continue. Continue. Uh, yeah, and I also noticed that, and that that's my, my only other real problem with this movie, is uh, that Dr. Riesendorf, supposedly German, is played by a Japanese actor in bad makeup. <laughs> I don't know. Every time you say Riesendorf, I keep... Think of the, the little chocolate things, don't you? Reasons? <laughs> no, actually, I was more thinking. Um, dun 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 dun. But that's Polish. That's polka. So never mind. I just translate, folks. Anyway, um, some things are just beyond translation. Absolutely, especially where I'm concerned. 
It's all part of the dad joke thing. Oh, okay. That now, is dad, D-A-D, not B-A-D, although the two kind potato, of Potato, potato, right. They both kind of mean the same thing. So anyway, the heart of the Frankenstein monster is transported by U-boat to be passed off to their Japanese allies uh, who are in the actually in the Indian Ocean uh, off the Maldives. Okay. Where it meets up with a Japanese Imperial Navy submarine to make the exchange. They are sighted by an Allied Forces scout plane and bombed, but not before the Kriegsmarine passed the heart contained in a locked chest to the Japanese who take it back to Hiroshima for further experimentation. But just as the experiments are about to begin, Hiroshima is bombed by the Allied forces, and the heart and experiments vanish in the atomic fireball, which looks cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> so now we are up to 15 years later, in 1960, a wild boy runs rampant in the streets of Hiroshima, catching and devouring small animals, uh, dogs, rabbits, etc., this comes to the attention of American scientist Dr. James Bowen, played by our favorite, Nick, Nick Adams. Adams. Yeah. You dirty wretch. I love Nick Adams. Yeah. I, I love watching like every kaiju thing he ever does because it it's always so weird that his dialogue is actually in English and everybody else's is in Japanese. I, <laughs> I, I can't imagine how that I've mentioned this before, I cannot imagine how it must be to act like that. Well, <laughs> you know, and uh, there was actually a rumor that when they were working together, uh-huh. that he had a fling with, wait for it. Wait, here it comes, here it comes. Kumi Mizuno. <laughs> yes, I know it's Kumi Mizuno, but I like saying Kumi Mizuno. And besides, who, who wouldn't really? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, tap Gumi Mizuno. You're a lion fool. See, you're on the bandwagon now. Oh, absolutely. I I was on the bandwagon from the beginning, <laughs> man. Dude, I mean, she was she was a cute little number right, right back in the day. I'll tell you what. So anyway, go on. So, uh, Dr. James Bowen and his assistants Suiko Tagomi and Kenichiro Kawaji. Kawaji. Now, a year later, in 1961, they investigate and find the boy hiding in a cave on the beach, where a mob of outraged villagers... You ever notice how villagers are always outraged? The only thing that was missing was uh, torches and pitchforks. Absolutely. Um, they've almost caught him. While, while the strange boy catches media attention and is taken care of by the scientists, another astounding event evades the public's eye. Once the boy is taken to the hospital, it is, is discovered... Okay... It is discovered that he is Caucasian and his body is building a strong resistance to radiation rather than getting sick from it. Okay, they mentioned like three times, oh, he's Caucasian, definitely Caucasian. Oh, oh he's Caucasian. It's like, dude, no, it's, sorry. D d not buying it even for a second. It's the brow. I, I and, uh, and, those, <laughs> and those teeth. I, I don't know. It's, it's like... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm looking at. It, it's like okay. I don't care. How, I don't care if you repeat it twelve times. He's he's Asian with with bad makeup on. That gets progressively worse. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, the former Imperial Navy officer Kawai, who brought the heart of Frankenstein's monster to Japan in World War II, is now working in an oil factory in Akita Prefecture. 
when a sudden earthquake shakes the very foundations of the refinery and an offshore drilling tower collapses. As the ground splits open, Kawai, for a moment, glimpses a monstrous, inhuman visage peering through the fissure. A monstrous, inhuman visage, huh? It's Baragon. Yeah, we know it's Baragon. Uh, Baragon's one of the... I'm, I'm sorry, it, it, it looks like uh, he wants to be Yangiris when he grows up. <laughs> Baragon is like a little puppy dog. Yeah, yeah. It, well, like, if... Again, I, I kind of compare him to Anguirus a little bit. Anguirus is like kind of like a, a full-blown German Shepherd, Doberman, you know. I was thinking more like Great Dane, like Marmaduke, that thinks he's a puppy. Okay, yeah, but but Baragon, I just, well, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I, I just never got this sense of, oh, wow, cool, it's Baragon. It's like, mm, whatever. Yeah. Um, Baragon is so unimportant, he didn't even get billed in. GMK, so. Yeah, doesn't he just kind of watch? Uh, and I think he's in uh, Destroy All Monsters, and he basically just, like, watches everybody else fight. <laughs> I'm not sure. I We'll find out when we do that one next, or when and, that one's coming up. But I think Baragon was supposed to be in that one, but he I, got I, taken out for uh, the snake. But go on. Manda. Okay, so meanwhile, Dr. Bowman, Bowen and the scientists find out that the strange boy is growing in size due to intake of protein. And he, he's not actually growing, they're just making the set smaller. <laughs> that's right. The only thing that's really growing on him is his uh, brow. Yeah. Just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I kept expel- expecting him to topple over top heavy. <laughs> Here I go. Alright, here's something. here's something that I didn't quite, I couldn't quite wrap my head around in either one of my viewings. (coughs) I did watch this movie twice. First time in bits and pieces, and it made no freaking sense to me. Then the second time I watched it, it actually, on the second viewing, I liked it much better. Okay. But what I did not understand about what was going on, was it just some kid that ate the heart, or did the heart actually grow into a new Frankenstein. I think because it, he looked a little too Franken classic Frankenstein. I think it was the heart grew into the Frankenstein. Okay. I mean I keep seeing things that say he ate the heart, but I don't even remember that being mentioned. I don't recall that at all as a plot point. I just assumed that the monster grew out of the heart and all that. Well I would think with the flathead in the Well, I mean I I had a hard time getting past the fact that, you know, every five seconds I want to say, the monster's name is not Frankenstein. It's the monster, the creature, Adam, whatever. The The doctor's name was Frankenstein. I, I I'm, I'm a purist. I, I, I hate when people get that wrong. I understand that. You know, I had a very similar bunch of conversations about when the millennium started, but go on. Oh, okay. Um, no, it did not start in the year zero. It started in the year one. Okay. Okay. I'm off the soapbox now. There we go. Um, afraid of his strength, the scientists lock and chain the boy in a jail cell, and Suiko, who really cares for him, feeds him some protein food to sustain him. Which also has the effect of making him larger. Or making the set smaller, as I said. <laughs> well, that's true. Meanwhile, Dr. Bowen is visited by Kawai who tells him that the boy could have grown from the heart of the Frankenstein monster, as the boy was seen in here. 
uh, in Hiroshima more than once before. At Bowen's advice, Dr. Kawaji confers, I can talk, with the aging Dr. Riesendorf in Frankfurt. Uh, Go ahead. Um, Riesendorf tells Kawaji of the story of the Frankenstein monster and its noted virtual immortality due to the intake of protein. Riesendorf recommends cutting off the monster's arm or leg, speculating that a new one will grow back. That's that's his little test of whether it's the actual Frankenstein monster. Or just some guy that's suddenly not going to have a hand. But why does it have to be the whole hand? Why can't he just, uh, like, snip off a pinky or something? See, the, what, what I wondered, and, and I'm sure if they were, God forbid, ever to do a remake of this, they would explore this, would be, okay, w- they, they showed the hand growing later, uh-huh. but it just grew in size. It didn't grow in length. Would a new Frankenstein eventually grow out of the hand if if uh, they had... Well, the reason that it stopped growing at a certain point was because when they first found the hand, they put it in some liquid protein. Correct. And basically what it did was the hand absorbed, ate, whatever the liquid protein that was in there Mm -hmm. until there was no more left. So once it was no longer feeding, it basically starved to death. But, okay, but then let's postulate, if it had, say, reasonably unlimited supply of protein, would it just grow to be a giant hand? Because then all all I'm thinking of is the glove from Yellow Submarine. (laughs) (laughs) Give him a hand, folks. (laughs) Thank you, Thing. Mails in. Put him in the good chair. <laughs> anyway, when re- relating this to his fellow scientists upon his return to Japan, Suiko strongly objects to this method, fearing that nothing may grow back. Even when Bowen suggests that they wait a little longer to think it over, Kawaji tenaciously attempts to sever one of the now gigantic monster's limbs. And, yeah, he takes his little... Uh tool cart down there pulls out this big needle then he decides to take a shot of whiskey or something before he does it yeah <coughs> which gotta steal myself before i cut off this enormous well go ahead yeah uh he's interrupted by a tv crew whom kawaji allows to film the monster though they enrage it with the shining bright studio lights aimed at his face the monster hereafter known as Frankenstein. Again, I, I'm just... Uh, no, no. That's, that's Frankenstein. Yes. See, now that I wouldn't have minded. Okay, so just oh, call Frank, him... Oh, Frankenstein. Well, just call him Frankenstein then. Okay. But he uh, he breaks loose and goes on the run from the Japanese police. Now, there is an encounter between the monster <coughs> and Suiko on the balcony of her apartment. Which uh, the miniature work on that little thing, I mean, you know, it actually didn't look too bad. It was a, he, it was a different scale from what they usually use with Godzilla in that. Um, I liked most of the miniature work on this. The only time I I just literally almost had to stop it because I was rolling my eyes so hard. I thought I thought I was gonna like sever a tendon in my in my eyes. Is um, at one point he's going into uh, I don't know, he's going into like a village or by a house and he's by a stable. <coughs> And they show this horse. Oh, the plastic horse. The plastic horse. I'm like, really? Really? That's what you did? 
That's what you guys did. Oh, my God. Well, Subaraya was having a little bit of fun with that. Oh, you're, so you're saying it was intentional cheese? He just pretty much decided, rather than intersplice with um, actual scenes. Yeah. Because even you see a lot of cars driving around in that. They didn't they didn't cut from a real car to a little one. And there was like a little wild boar running in the woods. Yeah. And that was a fake boar, too. So well, that, he just went full on. That looked trip. like a puppet, at least, you know, or some that I don't know. It, it Yeah. The horse was, looked like a little little plastic Captain Oates type of horse. And it was just like Captain Oates, the OC. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't it's a thing. Um, I won't even get into Princess Sparkle. But uh, anyway, what? Well, I- <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm still trying to wrap my head around derpy hooves, so. Oh, okay. Right. Got it. But anywho. And and there's probably somebody out there that's going, are you kidding me? You're not kidding me. Um, while Frankenstein is on the run, he travels to many places, from Okayama, where he eats more animals, to Mount Ibuki, where his primitive childlike activities... I and this is actually the part I laughed at the hardest was throwing trees at birds and trying to trap a wild boar and end in disaster. I love when he throws the tree and it misses and he's just like, oh, like, darn it! <laughs> Where I at? wish I knew English so I could say darn it. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, Lily, but <laughs> uh, um, Grandpa, Hyman. <laughs> There's, there's nothing funnier than a Jewish vampire. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God, I love Al Lewis. He's just so funny. He, he's literally the only funny thing on that show. The rest of it, I, I can't stand the monsters except for Gram- Grandpa. cracks me up to no end. Hyman. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Bowen and the scientists, we'll get through this, folks. Baragon, the monster cow Probably I not. saw but... earlier, goes on a rampage. Tunneling under the earth, he pops out and ravages village villages, eating people and animals and leaving destruction in his wake. Uh, people believe this is Frankenstein's doing, or Frankenstein, and <laughs> the you know that does work better. The misunderstood monster narrowly escapes being hunted down by the military. Before Bowen and his assistants have no choice but to dismiss Frankenstein. Kawai returns to tell them that Frankenstein may not be responsible for the disasters. It could be the monster that he saw in Akita. He tries to convince the authorities, but to no avail. Kawaji still wishes the scientists luck in finding Frankenstein. Yeah, it just works. Yeah, it works better for me, too. Bowen, Suiko, and Kawaji then Frankenstein form- conquers the void. From looker. <laughs> They form a search party and venture into the forest where, in which they believe Frankenstein is hiding. But Kawaji, to the shock of Bowen and Suiko. <laughs> it not only works, it actually makes it pretty funny. Then proceeds, proceeds to attempt to kill him, believing that Frankenstein could be <laughs> dangerous by its very nature. Oh my that, is, that is, that is freaking <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Not even Suiko could possibly tame him. He intends to blind him with chemical grenades and capture him to recover his heart and brain. Kawaji presses on to find... I'm just going to say F-word. <laughs> and instead finds Baragon, Kawaji, and Bowen 
try in vain to stop the monster. Wait. Yeah. Finds Baragon. Kawaji and Bowen try in vain to stop the monster with the grenades, and when it is about to eat Suiko, the F word comes to the rescue. The- you know, right around this time where they're throwing the grenades at Baragon and that, they had quite possibly some of the worst blue screen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where Nick Adams comes up and rescues Kumi. In, in his immaculately white suit. And that- There's all this destruction going on, and he looks like Mr. Rourke uh, with and- a hat. With that goofy ass hat, yeah, and they basically show him running under Baragon's belly or that, yeah, and that is just I, honest to God, that is some of the worst blue screen I've seen since the octopus scene in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, that's exactly what one I was going to cite too. That was that was oh on on the island. God, that was pretty bad. Now I will say, at one point they are uh, they're showing a boat. And, oh yeah, yeah. Now that was some nice blue, you know. Look at it in context, you know, it's a 1965 film, but I thought the blue screen on there, I mean, you could see it, but I thought it, it looked pretty tight. I, I you know, with that, that whole scene with the boat, come on, that, that it served no I didn't purpose. I did, I, yeah, I didn't he understand the rises po- out of the water, basically goes, and then goes back in the water. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the point of the scene, but the point it is, it was well done. Yes, it was. Like you said, it served no purpose other than, hey, we've got this giant tank in our parking lot, Let's and Subarai wants to build a big-ass boat, so let's do it. All right. So the cataclysmic battle between the two giant monsters then begins. Cataclysmic, my ass. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, here's the thing with the fight. It just went on way too long. I've seen stuff, it's like 12 minutes long, and it's one thing to see two rubber-suited people going at it. You know, you can kind of do but okay. But a guy who's basically normal. And where did he get a pelt that big? Well, when they they first show him getting bigger and wandering out into the city, he's wearing, I mean, at that point, he's at least 10 feet. 15, 20 feet tall, perhaps? I mean, around in there because he easily peered into the second floor window. I mean, so we figure that's about 20, 25 feet. Where does he shop at the store the Hulk shops at with the stretch pants and the, and the stretch whatever? Because I don't know, man. He He's kind of dressed like some of the hipsters down on Coventry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's you bad. know I'm right, though. I know you. Well, you work there. <laughs> uh, Coventry is an area in uh, Cleveland, is very artsy. Yes. And that's all I got to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, after the, the fight, the area where the fight took place starts to tremble. Uh, the Basically, the uh, forest catches on fire, and then there's basically a big kind of fissure in the the ground, and both both creatures are sucked in and seen. Now, originally, there was another scene that they had filmed for this, and I'm told it shows up on fairly recent uh, DVD as well as um, late uh, videotape. Would that be the giant octopus? The giant octopus, yes. Basically, what we were just talking about, that was in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, Actually, well... Well, it's not the same scene, but I'm saying a similar thing. Yeah, something like that, where the octopus supposedly wrapped around him and just they both tumbled off a cliff or something like that. I have not seen the scene, so I can't comment on it. However, Honda did get did get to do his octopus scene again 
in the sequel to this one. Ah, yes, which uh, that's actually we've reviewed it, and that's totally a favorite of one of ours is uh, War of the Gargantuas. Yeah. Now, watching this one, I, I will say, seeing it the first time, like I said, I was a little confused by what was going on, mainly because I wasn't paying that close of attention. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I, I do. Quick, I was kind of quick hitting it. I I multitask while while I was watching it, so it was a little a little and hard to follow. But now, what I did do, I turned around and watched it a second time just to be sure, or you know. So I would actually know what was going on in the movie. Right. And I did like it a lot. I, I, I ended up liking the movie more on the second viewing, mainly because I was watching it to try to pick out plot points. Okay. Or pick holes in plot points. So I'd have something to talk about. I mean, as with as with all kaiju films, I mean, you could sit there and <laughs> any movie that we absolutely love, I mean, GMK, or any, I'm sure you could probably... Pick, oh, a, pick apart God, stuff. yeah, and I've done it. Yeah, but um, I will say this, uh, when all is said and done, this actually turned out to be better, I think, than I thought it was going to be because I, I knew it was the the first part of the War of the Gargantua sequence and I kind of had built it up in my mind to the point where, man, this is going to suck because it's, it's the first part of one of the greatest kaiju movies ever, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and there's there's no way it's going to measure up. And upon, like I said, as, a, as I'm watching it initially, it's like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cheesy. But like yourself, I kind of started really getting into it. I actually liked uh, most of the, the fight sequence at the end. I will agree they could have trimmed out probably about two minutes and it would have been a little bit tighter but i would i wouldn't have gone much uh much deeper cut than that well i i mean the it's almost like watching two movies you know i think we said the same thing once about uh rodan because the first part is a little bit more character studies almost yeah um and then after that once he escapes and goes out into the wild uh you know, it it becomes almost a completely different movie. But, you know, I, like I said, I didn't end up enjoying it quite a bit. And if you really want an in-depth discussion of this film, mm-hmm. uh, look for the book Mushroom Clouds and Mushroom Men, The Fantastic Cinema of Ishiro Honda by Peter H. Brothers. It's actually kind of, uh, if you bought the hard copy of it, I don't know what it is, but I think on Amazon for my Kindle or the Kindle program, I think it was like three, four bucks, something like that. Oh, that's not bad. And it has a, every one of the films he does, it does uh, multiple pages, like an in-depth discussion. Very nice. And I just actually had read the whole Frankenstein Conquers the World one. I thought, well, you know, that's a little more in-depth than we like to get. We like to bag on the movies. and <laughs> No, but I, I, you know, I'm a sucker for... Uh behind-the-scenes stuff. Matter of fact, it's funny because um, I have instilled in my daughter a love for the same thing, and I remember when she was first... um, When she first got Disney movies and all that on DVD... Okay. um, The way she always referred to it is, I love the part where they talk about it. (laughs) I always just thought... Oh, you mean like the... uh... Yeah, behind-the-scenes featurettes, the making of, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, she's like six or seven years old, and she's like, I love the part where they talk about it. <laughs> I just thought that was cute. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. 
but to this day she she's like me put put something that's the making of Lord of the Rings or whatever you know whatever you're uh, the only reason I say that because she she just happened to be watching that uh, the other day but anything that's a behind the scenes making of she's totally like me she's a sucker she'll she'll drop whatever she's doing and watch it yeah I I usually watch all the special features on a thing um, the Lord of the Rings one I, I didn't even make it through the movies dude. I made a fan of her, and I don't know. I they they were running a marathon, I think, on FX. Had all three movies, and okay. it, t- it took us probably about three weeks of of watching it in like half hour spurts because okay. they are long movies. Well, that's that's I think that's my big issue with that. They just they're long books, you know. So. Yeah, I understand that, but you know, you don't have to have every word. Never mind. We're not talking about Lord of the Rings. We're talking about Frankenstein Conquers the World. Frankenstein Conquers the World. Okay. Well, unless you have any other final thoughts, I think maybe it's time to rate this sucker. Okay. Um, I will go... Um, I, w- uh, I like yourself. My initial reaction was uh, Stinkburger because it was a little bit boring me, particularly near the beginning, but... I kind of grew on me as I went on. I'd I'd go uh, craptastic. Yeah, because I believe craptacular is the ultimate of the ultimate. Not quite, not quite that good. You know, it's. I, I would say its sequel, uh, War of the Gargantua, is absolutely craptacular. This was craptastic. It was it was nice. I'll probably at some point see it again. Just not right now. Uh, I may or may not see it again. I have to go crap. I have to go craptastic as well. I think if they had, I might be able to go craptastic plus if they might have cut out some of the fighting because it did get a little redundant, but uh, all in all, very solid effort. Absolutely. Plus, wait for it, Kumi Mizuno, so it can only be so bad. (laughs) Awesome. So... Once again, if you'd like to get a hold of us, that would be secretlayerpodcast at gmail.com. While you're out on the interwebs, check out Geeks Explain It All at geeksexplainitall.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a review. Please leave a review. We're dying for reviews on, <laughs> on both shows. Check us out on, uh, if you have an iPhone or a Windows phone, you can subscribe there. Go to Beyond Pod if you got an Android. We're available. Find us. What am I saying? You're already listening. Man, you sound desperate. <laughs> and plus, they're already listening. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so what is our film for next time? Well, D-Dub, we're going to change it up a little bit. We, uh, we've been doing mostly horror movies and kaiju movies and... Uh, based on a conversation we had, we, I don't know how we, it, it took a left turn into it, but we mentioned a movie that we've loved for years since we were kids and we decided what the heck, let's do it. So we're going to go with Evil Roy Slade starring John Aston. Take a card, preacher. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait. I, I just got the film from Netflix and I... It's, it's it's killing one, me not to watch it. It's one of the most underrated funny movies ever, and and almost no one I've ever met besides you and a couple other people have ever even heard of it. So we're we're gonna see if we can really 
give this one uh, a great review and get people uh, more interested in it. All right. And so until next time, this is D-Dub. And Stratosphere. Saying, go watch a B-movie. And why? Because these movies won't watch themselves. Later, folks. Carl Nelson. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.